This morning, I want to minister to you on temptation. Anybody here ever been tempted before? No? Oh. Never mind then. <laughs> temptation. You know, temptation is a desire to perform an action that one may enjoy immediately or in the short term, but will probably later regret for various reasons. Legal, social, psychological, including feeling guilt, health-related, economic, etc. And in the context of religion, temptation is the inclination to sin. It also describes the coaxing or inducing a person into committing such an act by manipulation or otherwise of curiosity, desire, or fear of loss. So the truth is that temptation is something that's experienced, as, as we just noticed when I said, has anybody been tempted? Uh, it's experienced by everybody in this life. And for the Christian, temptation is a desire to do something that is sin. Temptation is used by the enemy to turn our eyes from Christ, to turn our eyes from God, and turn it towards towards sin, towards even oneself. Temptation is that idea that you're going to stop looking at God for your satisfaction, for your peace, but you're going to be looking towards other things. And that's the thing that the enemy does, is he, he comes and he tries to, to give you a shortcut to something that's already yours in Christ, but you may just have to press on forward. The enemy is always trying to tempt you with a shortcut. This will make you happy. This is going to give you peace. This will make everything okay. And that seems to be that's the way it always goes. See, the thing is, is the enemy frames the thing that we are tempted by in an extremely attractive fashion. He makes it look like the best thing that we could have, the best thing that we could imagine. At that time that temptation comes, he, he tries to make it look better than anything anybody has to offer, even anything that God would have to offer. However, if you've noticed, if you've ever succumbed to temptation, what you're left with is not feelings of satisfaction. You're not left with feelings of joy or happiness. But usually you're left with feelings of guilt and shame. And on top of that, many times we deal with serious repercussions in our life, not just spiritual, but physical repercussions in our lives. The very thing that was supposed to make you happy ends up destroying you in the end. And the truth is that all Christians face temptation. It's not something unique to the bad Christians or, or any specific group of people. Everybody experiences temptation. So today as we, as we go through and look at what the Scripture says about temptation, and primarily I want to look at what we do when temptation comes our way, uh, we're going to take a, a few things and, and just look over some, some important points to know about temptation. And the first thing is that temptation is not there from God, is not from God. Temptation is, is not there to test you, at least in the sense that God doesn't put something in there to test you, hoping that you'll fail. He's not going to test you in the sense to see if you can pull it off. We will be tested during temptation, but it's not sent by God to, to make us fail. God just uses those opportunities to help us grow. Amen? The next thing is that we have a God that understands what we're going through. We don't have a God or serve a God who cannot sympathize with what we are going through. The truth is that Jesus was tempted in every way that man was tempted. We're going to find that, that God can sympathize what we're going through. We can't say, God, it's so easy for you. You don't ever get tempted because God came down to earth as a man and he went through everything, the same things that we did. He understands what we're going through. 
We also need to understand that being tempted is not a sin. How many, how many people here thought that they, when they were tempted by something, especially something from your old life, and it was a terrible thing, how many people thought that you might be sinning at that point in time? I know I've felt that way before. I want you to know that temptation is not a sin. Everybody goes through temptation. And, and we'll look at Jesus' life, because you remember the scripture where it says Jesus was tempted? But we also know that Jesus never sinned. Temptation is not the sin. Succumbing to some temptation in giving birth is what leads to sin. The next we're going to look at that you are not alone. Has anybody ever felt like you're the only person going through this situation? That's one of the, the schemes of the enemy is to make you feel isolated and alone, like you're the only one that's ever dealt with this problem. But the truth is, everybody deals with temptation. We're going to look at how we can overcome temptation and what the Word says to, to, to help us resist temptation. And finally, we're going to take a look at Jesus as our example in, in, in this light as we look at temptation this morning. So the first scripture that I want to look at this morning is James 1.13-15. through 15. And it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Pardon me. Now the truth is that while God will help us grow during temptation, that he'll use those times when, when this life, our old selves, or the world, or, or even the enemy is tempting us, in those very times... God will use those opportunities to strengthen us and help us grow. He'll, he'll help us to put our faith in Him to resist temptation. We need to know that it's never God that sends these things. God does not want you to fail. The most important thing that we can realize as Christians, and I think it's one of the, the biggest fallacies that, that this world is trying to put on us, is that God is this mean, mean big old guy in heaven just waiting for you to mess up. He's always putting things in your way so that you'll trip, so He can point and laugh or, or maybe punish you in some way. But the truth is, God is never going to put something in your life so that you will fail. God does not want you to fail. If God wanted you to fail, He wouldn't have sent His Son. Because that would be guaranteed failure for all of us, right? If, if there was no one here to make us brand new, if somebody wouldn't have paid for what we couldn't pay for ourselves, then we would have failed ultimately and there would have been no way out. But God doesn't want you to fail. And He's never going to send something in front of you to force you to trip. He's not trying to make you fail. He's not ever going to entice you with sin to test you. Really, if you, if you take a step back and think about that, that would just be, I mean, that would be awful if God's like, you're not allowed to sin and waves it in front of your face trying to get you to sin. I mean, even, even as, as people, we have laws against that. The police officers cannot say, I want you, they cannot tell you to go out on the road and drive 100 miles an hour and then as soon as you do, pull you over for speeding. That's entrapment. That would be, that's kind of what God would be doing if he was the one putting sin in front of us trying to entice us with sin. God is not gunning for you to fail. There's another thing that I hear all the time is, has anybody ever uh, heard in regards to sin, well, God made me this way? Primarily, we'll hear that uh, as an excuse for, for uh, sexual sin. Oh, the reason I'm homosexual is because God made me that way. 
I want you to know that God doesn't make you that way. Matter of fact, when God made us, He made us perfect. If you look at the, the Garden of Eden, when He made Adam, Adam was perfect in every way. He had no past. He had no sin. And it wasn't until sin came in His life and began to corrupt Him that He began to have flaws. It was, it was Adam that was the issue. Adam was made to serve God. Adam was made to be obedient to God. Adam was made to worship God. He wasn't made to be disobedient, yet he did so anyway. But I often hear that, and most particularly with the sin of, of, of sexual sin, is I was made this way. And they've done studies, they, they've done studies that show that, that people with, that are homosexual, their brains might work a different way. And that's the argument that because their brains work a different way, that we can look at the, the synapses firing and all that stuff going, that, that yes, they must be made that way. And the funny thing is, has anybody ever heard of brain plasticity? I started learning about this not too, too long ago because I've always known that this nonsense that, that they were made that way is nonsense because that would just be a cheap shot if God made it impossible for you not to sin and then held you accountable for it. God would never make somebody that way, set them up for failure that way. But then I started reading is brain plasticity is the brain's ability to change physically, functionally, and chemically throughout our lifetime. That's the definition for brain, brain plasticity. And, and the, the reason I was reading about this is because I, I've been recently having this, this huge desire to create, to do something artistic, to draw, paint, just whatever. But I'm a very, I'm a very uh, left-brained individual. I'm, 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 I think like an engineer. So that's kind of away from me. And I started doing some reading about it. And one of the books I was reading is that you can actually train your brain to use that other side that creates that creative side, that artistic side. And, and it'll actually change the way your brain works. You can do, um, they can do tests on your brain before and afterwards and, and different neural paths will be created. Your brain will physically change if you'll just train it in that way. And that, that's when I went, I wonder if that's what happens when people say, oh, that was made that way. The problem is they live that way and their brain begins to change. That's why we see evidence in the, the things, but that's, that's a completely different story and I, I don't know why I went down that road. But nonetheless, kleptomaniacs, people that feel that they have, a kleptomaniac is, is someone who has the inability to refrain from the urge to steal. That's a, a physical condition. It's a, it's a mental condition people have. How many of you know that they can make the argument that God made me that way? But do you think any of us would ever be okay with, oh, no, that's okay, they can do whatever they want because God made them that way. Or what, about, what about psychopaths that, that, that murder people, that kill people, and they, they, feel, they have a, a desire and they feel like they have to do this? And physically, their brains are different than, than regular people, people that are considered normal. We would never go, oh, it's okay that they murdered somebody because God made them that way. The truth is, God doesn't make you to sin. God, you were never made to sin. But it's our own lust that carry us away. Right here it says that God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And the lust is just an intense emotion of desire in our bodies. It's not always sexual. That's the first thing we think when we hear the word lust mostly. But the truth is, lust is just an intense desire for somebody. And the truth is that we have many desires in our lives. We are built with many desires. I mean, that we all have a desire to eat and to sleep, to drink, 
We all have sexual desires. That's perfectly normal. God created us as sexual beings. We have a desire to be happy and content. And all of these are normal, but if they're allowed to grow out of control, the temptation to sin is there. To desire and to eat and drink is normal, but how I many you know that the Bible says gluttony is a sin? Desire to rest is normal, but laziness is a sin. Sexual desires are normal, but to act on them outside of the marriage covenant is a sin. The desire to be loved, content, and happy is normal, but fulfilling those in any other way than Jesus leads to sin. And oftentimes, the old man tries to rear his ugly head as well in our life as well. Things we used to do tempt us. And letting these thoughts go unchecked by not reasserting who we are in Christ can lead to sin. This actual word here, this, this he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, is a Greek word that, I'm not going to bother trying to pronounce it, but uh, comes from the verb that translates to bait, to catch a fish with bait, or to hunt with snares. The enemy uses bait to catch us. When you go out fishing, you pick the right bait for the fish that you're fishing for. If you go out fishing for catfish, you put stink bait on there because that's what catches catfish. But how many knows if you want to catch bass, you don't put stink bait on the end of the line. You'll never catch a bass with bait like that. And it's, it's the same with us as well. All of us have different bait that entices us. There's different things, and the enemy will use those different things to try to lure you in. He'll put the bait on that attracts you to lure you in. And then we find that when that lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when you act on that lust, when you have that desire to do something, if you don't stand firm and resist, it's when you act on it that it finally leads to sin. The thought sneaking into your head is not sin, but dwelling on that thought and letting it foster can lead to sin, and in some very cases can be sin. Next, we need to know that we have a God who understands, who can sympathize with us as we go through these things. Hebrews 2.18 says, For since he himself was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The truth is that Jesus was tempted the same way we were, and because of that, he understands and can sympathize where we're coming from, and he can come to our aid when we're in those same situations. Because Jesus was victorious. And if he was victorious, being a man the same that we are, and he lives inside of us, then we can be victorious. And in Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This is also more evidence, right? This is evidence right here that the temptation is not sin. If you are tempted by something, as long as you don't let it conceive and conceive into sin and give birth into sin, you haven't sinned. It's when we let those, those like, the, like the saying says, that you can't stop a bird from landing in your hair, but you can, you can stop it from building a nest. Jesus was tempted. Matter of fact, it says that he has been tempted in all things as we are. He has been tempted in all things. You know what? Not a single person in this room has been tempted in all things. But Jesus was tempted in all things and was successful. And it says he was without sin. You know, those very same things that, that are in your life that you feel like you're being tempted by that nobody else has ever dealt with, Jesus was tempted with that very same thing. And he resisted and he was without sin. 
You see, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And we can argue that, well, he was God. Of course it was easy for him to resist. But the truth is that when Jesus came down to this earth, he, he set aside deity. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. The truth is that, that Jesus lived on this earth in the same way that we live fully, 100% as a man. He operated under the same power that we do, the same power of the Holy Spirit that we do, and he faced the same temptations as us and dealt them, dealt with them in the same way that we have to deal with them. And that's one of the reasons why we'll be taking a look at, at his life here shortly, because he dealt with them the same way that we have to. He's an example for us. But he was tempted in all things and was victorious as a man, just like you and I. And it says here that, and, and the truth is, like I said, no man has been tempted in all things, but Jesus was. And he was victorious in all things. So therefore, we can have victory, victory, victory over temptation in all things because he went through the same things. Some years ago, a man living in Wales had the misfortune of being involved in a mining accident, which necessitated the amputation of his right leg. After a period in the hospital, he went to a prosthesis maker to be supplied with an artificial leg, and when the appendage had been strapped to his stump, which was all that remained of the injured leg, the attendant requested that the patient get up and walk across the floor. Awkwardly, the man struggled to his feet and staggered across the room. Then dragging himself painfully back to his chair, he slumped into it, utterly exhausted and discouraged. That's not how to do it, says the attendant. Watch this. And he walked gracefully across the floor. Ah, exclaimed the patient, it's all very easy for you because you don't have any disability. You ever feel like that sometimes when you look, man, it must have been easy for Jesus. He was God. But the attendant said, oh, haven't I? And he stood up and he said, look, and he pulled up the legs of his trousers and he disclosed that he was not wearing just one artificial limb, but two. In the same way, Jesus can sympathize with us because he dealt with everything the same way that we are. Now, for this man, it would be okay for him to go, how can you even talk to me? You can't relate to me. You don't have any artificial legs. And that's a valid argument. But when he stands up and says, yeah, but I have two. Jesus can stand up and say, yes, you're going through some temptation, but I was... Suffered. I was tempted in all things. I have two. And he walked through it gracefully. In the same way, we can do it as well because he lives inside of us. And then finally, this also makes it to where you can understand that, that God doesn't look down at us with shame because we've been tempted. He never looks down and says, oh, you've been tempted, such a bad boy. The truth is that he went through the same thing. He understands. Jesus was perfect. He lived without sin, yet he was tempted. And the Bible says that he was tempted in all ways more than any of us. Amen? Next, we find out that you're not the only one. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. One of the greatest schemes, one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to make you believe that you're the only one going through this particular situation. 
He makes you feel isolated and alone because when you're isolated and alone, you don't go for help. You don't have anybody that can strengthen you or encourage you. Maybe you're embarrassed to talk to somebody about what you're dealing with. Maybe you're, you're afraid what they'll say, what they'll think about you. And he'll tell you that too. You know, you, you, you come to the realization that maybe you need help. You need someone to pray with you about this or, or help hold you accountable, walk through you with it. And the first thing the enemy will tell you is, is what will they say if you tell them? You don't want them to know about this. They're just going to think bad of you. He wants you to be alone because that's his greatest chance of defeating you is if you will stay alone. But even in those situations, I take great comfort in the fact that the, the Bible says that, that God, even when you're walking through temptation, that God will never let you be in, in such a way that, you, that, you, that the devil can have his way with you. You will always have a way out. You will always have a way that you can overcome temptation. The Bible says that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. One of my favorite quotes from Mother Teresa, and I'm sure I've said it before, is she said, I know God will not give me more than I, I can handle, but I sure wish he didn't trust me so much sometimes. <laughs> the truth is that, that you will be able to overcome any situation that comes your way if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, the first thing that we should do when temptation comes our way is to turn to God to thank Him for the victory and to thank Him that He's provided a way out. Ask Him for guidance. And the key is to listen. Story, this this uh, guy says, My five-year-old daughter Barbara had disobeyed me and had been sent to her room. And after a few minutes, I went in to talk with her about what she had done. And teary-eyed, she asked, Why do we do wrong things? And I said, Sometimes the devil tells us to do something wrong. And we listen to him. We need to listen to God instead. And she said, but God doesn't talk loud enough. You know, the truth is, God talks plenty loud. I know personally in my life, any time that I've been tempted, I've heard God's voice in the background telling me that you are an overcomer, you're victorious. He, he brings scripture to mind. But the truth is, many times I went, not now, God. Not now, I'm busy being tempted. And I push him away. God's always talking, but there's many times that I'm not doing a very good job of listening. A lot of times I hear him plain as day and I just choose to ignore him. You laugh, but I know some of you have done the same thing. Because <laughs> I know I'm not alone in this. We need to make sure as we're listening to God, and when he provides those ways, we grab onto it like a, like a lifeboat. When, when someone throws the, the life ring overboard and you're drowning in the ocean, you grab on with dear life, you don't push it away. But I think so many times we do that because we're enticed. The devil knows which bait to use. So if that's the case, if we know these things, we know that it's not sin, and we know that God's not doing it, and we know that we're not alone, how do we deal with this temptation that comes our way? The first thing we need to do is be mindful of the company that we keep. You know, sometimes, uh, we're the saying the best offense is a good defense, or preventative maintenance, however you want to look at this stuff, is, is be careful of the company you keep. The, some of the best way to deal with temptation is to not have the opportunity to be tempted at all. 
1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The truth is, is if you hang around with people that are doing dumb stuff, the chances of you doing dumb stuff go through the roof. If they're doing sinful things, it's almost guaranteed that you'll be doing sinful things with them. Did you know that statistically, your income is going to be the average of your five closest friends? Statistically, if your friends are overweight, you will be too. The truth is that we are, we are such social creatures. We are so heavily influenced by the people around us. If we don't take care with who we put around us and surround ourselves with, we begin to become like them. We begin to do the same things that they're doing. You know, it's bad enough with the, when the enemy is tempting you to do something, but it's even harder when there's some other guy saying the same thing the devil's saying, trying to get you to do something. Oh, come on, just come on. Oh, it won't be that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Nothing's going to happen. It'll be okay. So you succumb, and afterwards you're just overwhelmed with feelings of guilt and shame, and why did I do this? The truth is that this is why as parents we're so concerned with who our children hang out with. Because when we were kids, we were so frustrated with our parents when they, would, when they would screen our friends and not let us hang out with certain people if they thought they were a bad influence. And we thought our parents were crazy. And then one day we, we grow up and become parents and two things happen. One, you look back at your life and go, man, they really did influence who I was. I remember when, when I was uh, moved to, to Whetstone, which is right side of, outside of Wachuca City, and kind of, I grew up in the, the very rural area, you know, trailer trailer homes and one acre lots everybody had and we just lived out there with didn't have all the nice stuff here we didn't have all the friends super close so your pickings were kind of slim anyway and truthfully where we lived is usually uh, uh the poor people you know we didn't have tons of money so the i don't know what it is about living in that situation you get hanging around with people that are doing drugs and all this stuff and and I remember me, I was just looking for somebody, anybody to be a friend, and I got involved with them, and I got involved in all kinds of stupid stuff. You know, my parents didn't want me hanging around with them, and I just thought they were crazy because they weren't doing anything bad to me. But I look back, and I'm like, man, I did some dumb stuff back then, all because of the people, all because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like them so that they would, they would be my friend. And, you know, the, the same thing happens to us. All kinds of sin I got involved in. Because of just because of who I was hanging around with. Because the truth is, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. The funny thing is, is the, the sins weren't the bait in my life. It was the wanting to fit in, the wanting to, to be liked is what was my bait that got me sucked in. You know, this is also another reason why missionary dating is a terrible idea. This is why we should be equally yoked. If you're... If you're single, which apparently obviously nobody in here in this room except for my daughter is. But, yeah, I mean, we don't... If you find someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you know, make sure they're a Christian. Missionary dating is a terrible idea. Because chances are you're not going to convert them. They're going to convert you. They're going to drag you back to that old way of living. Amen. Next in Matthew 5:29 through 30, 
It says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the, body, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, the next thing that we should do is start removing the possibilities for temptation to come into our life. The truth is, Jesus isn't telling his disciples here that they just start hacking off their body parts if they're causing them to sin. How many know that a person with one hand can sin just as easily as a person with two? A blind man can sin just as easily as a man that can see 20-20 vision. What he's talking about is a matter of the heart. You need to cut out that old man and replace it with a new one. It's, it's talking about salvation. We need to get rid of that old man, those old desires. And, and when you thankfully, when you get saved, that's the exact same the exact thing that happens. The old man is, is torn from you. That heart of stone is removed and it's replaced with a heart of flesh. You have a brand new person inside of you. And that's the first step to resisting as one getting rid of the old man. And I know everybody in this room is already at that point right now. But however, this is still great advice, not only spiritual advice, but this is great practical advice for your life as well. Remove the possibility. If, if something is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Never be alone in the same room with the opposite sex unless it's your spouse. That's removing possibilities, right? If you have a problem with drinking, if, if that was one of the, the things that used to pull you down and that's one of your temptation, probably don't want to go into a bar. Oh, but I was just going in there to try to lead people to God, Pastor Wayne. That's, you know, that's getting yourself in the wrong place. Even if that's, I mean, we laugh at that, but that, that could be a true thing. The truth is that there are people in bars that need to be saved. And... And if for some reason an outreach comes up and that's what they're doing, they're standing out in front of bars to minister to people, probably not one you want to go on. Because there's a temptation there. There's something that will try to draw you in. Did anybody ever see the movie Fireproof? Do you remember when, when uh, the computer screen pops up and he's being temptate, temptated? <laughs> he's being tempted to, <laughs> to go on some uh, inappropriate websites? What did he do? He took his computer and, and he took it outside and he destroyed his computer. He cut off his hand before it could cause a problem. The truth is that if we will remove the possibility of stuff tempting us, that's one of the, the, the easiest steps that we can take. Kind of out of sight, out of mind. And what, are the, what is in your life that is constantly causing you problems that you can live without? Now, I understand there's some things that we can't live without. You know, if you've got a problem with the internet, sometimes getting rid of the computer is not a practical idea. I know for me, that's what I do for a living. Getting rid of the computer, if that was one of my problems, is not the thing that I can do. And there's people that, I mean, really in the society we live in, that's how we deal with everything. So what can we do? One, find someone to be accountable with. If you're having a problem, there's, did you know there's software that you can install and have somebody else monitor to make sure that you're not going to sites you're not supposed to. Matter of fact, in my house right now, I have a, a special router that I built that, that actually, if you're on my Wi-Fi here, you can't get to, to uh, 
pornographic sites or sites with where you can steal software or sites that you can gamble, any of those kind of sites, you, you physically can't get to them from my house because I filter all that stuff out for the protection of people that are here, for the protection of my kids, to make sure that, that they're not tempted to go to stuff they're not supposed to. And even if they are tempted, then it's much harder for them to get to those things. You can do that for yourself. Any, any time that you have a, a, a struggle with something in your life, there's always a way to remove those, those possibilities. One of the greatest ways is just have someone help you be accountable. Say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. Pastor Wayne, if you would like me to help you with somebody or, or with another person that's mature in the, in the church, just say, hey, I'm struggling. Will you pray with me? Or maybe you're, you're having that temptation. Maybe, maybe it's, it's alcohol and you're, you're feeling that need to have a drink. And, you know, call somebody and say, hey, can you pray with me right now? I'm, I'm struggling right now. You know, and I always pick the, when I'm talking about it, I always pick the big easy ones, alcohol, pornography. Those are the, the big ones that's easy to talk about. But that may not be what it is for you. Everybody has different bait. And I, I, I don't know all the different ways people are tempted, but you do. You know what you struggle with. And, and call somebody. Have them pray with you because nobody in this room is ever going to go, oh my God, you do that? I can't believe it. No one's ever going to talk down to you. No one's ever going to think less of you. We're going to continue to love you and help you to be victorious in those areas that we struggle with. Amen? Amen. Sometimes you have to run when temptation comes your way. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Sometimes you just need to run. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to stand your ground. Don't try to, to show how tough you are. Just get out of there. In this case, particularly sexual sin. You know, this is why, you know, you've heard me say I make jokes that there's, in my family, there's no dating until you're married. But it's not too far from the truth. That's why we don't believe in casual dating in this church. Because sexual sin is one of the greatest temptations and the Bible says, flee it. It doesn't say, do your best. You know. no, it doesn't say, try to get as close as you can. Go on dates, but just be careful. No, flee it. Because the problem is, is and anyone's ever known, you get around a girl or a boy that you like, and your hormones start getting stupid, and all of a sudden, you just become an idiot. It's true. <laughs> and all the stuff, all the things you stood for, all the stuff that you were strong in, Next thing you know, you just, they just kind of drift away because it's, sexual sin is powerful. The Bible says flee it. But the truth is, anything that grips you in that kind of way, just run. You know, if, you, if you're over at a, at a party, one of your, one of your family members, and, and they, next thing you know, they start bringing out all the alcohol and all that stuff, and that's going to be a problem, then run. Get out of it. Just leave. Don't try to be strong and fail. Just There's no shame in getting away from those things that, that, uh, that try to get you. If you remember when, when Joseph was dealing with Potiphar's wife, when she tried to seduce him, that's exactly what he did. 
In Genesis 39:11 through 12, it says, Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. You know, he didn't just stand there and try to resist and push her away. He knew the but Flee, run. Sometimes you just have to get away with those things that can pull you down. And the truth is, like I said, not everybody has the same struggle. The bait is going to be different for you than it is going to be for somebody else. But you know what those things are. You know what the appropriate response is. You know that sometimes you just got to get out of there because this is one of those areas where you, you know that you, you're not going to be able to withstand. Just go. Just run. The next thing we need to do is, is make sure that we are renewing our mind. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How many of you know that doesn't say, just sit, sit around until God renews your mind? But that's a commandment. It says, no, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are supposed to renew our own minds. It says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in Psalm 119.11, the psalmist writes, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I find that Scripture is the answer to every problem that plagues the Christian. The truth is that when you get saved, you get a renewed heart. A new spirit inside of you. But sometimes your mind takes a little while to catch up to what's happened in your heart. The next step is to have a renewed mind. And this doesn't happen by osmosis. Truth is that you can't just slide your, your Bible under your pillow and go to sleep and hope that you're just going to suck all the information in through your, through your ear. You actually got to crack it open and read it. I forget who, the, who the, is one of the, the, the great men of, of, the, of uh, the gospel, and I forget what his name was, but he said that, uh, he said that worn-out Bibles... Or Bibles that are falling apart are often owned by Christians who are not. The truth is that if you'll spend time in your Word, you begin to renew your mind. And with that, you'll begin to, to, to garner the strength to resist the enemy when he comes your, way, comes your way. We find out who we are in Christ by reading His Word. By filling our minds with the Word of God, we begin to, to, to have those Scriptures. I mean... When we're going through the time when we're, we're trying to hear God and God's giving you a way out, if, you're ed, if you don't have any scriptures memorized, how are you going to have those pop in your head to remember? If you've never read any of them. When we spend time in the Word, we find out who we are in Christ. We find out that we are victorious. So we can remind ourselves of that when we're in times of trouble. We learn what His will is for our life. We learn that we're strong, we're pure and holy. And we don't just learn it by by like a head knowledge, but as you begin to spend time in the Word, you can hear me say it. I can say you're victorious, you're pure, and you're holy. And now you have a, a head knowledge that, oh yeah, in Christ this is what I am. But you won't have a revelation of it until you begin to hear the Word of God, the, the Scriptures, and, and it begins to build faith in your life. Because the Bible says that, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's in the book of Romans. Hearing comes by the Word of God. That's, our faith is strengthened. We have a revelation of who we are. In this application, as we memorize Scripture, we have the answer to the temptations that come our way. 
You know, when the old man rears its ugly head and begins to, to, to all those things you used to do begin to pop up, you can, you can quote 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. I just tried to mix the word creation and creature because depending on which translation they use, you read, they use both. <laughs> You're a new creature or a new creation. The old is past. Behold, new things have come. When we're with people who are not the best influence, we can remember that scripture we just read. Was it a couple back here? Too far. Do not be conceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33. We're reminded of that. What the Word of God says we can make wise decisions. The truth is that no matter how difficult temptation is, it will not be too much for us to handle. That's a good thing to, rem to remind yourself of. The scripture says, you know what, no matter how bad this is, I have a way out. The funny thing is that way out is usually a remembrance of, of any of the other scriptures in the, in the Bible that begins to tell us who we are in Christ. Spend time in the Word. Renew your mind. You're going to have the ammo that you need to face the enemy. So let's take a look at Jesus, who is our example, on these very things that we looked at. In, G in Matthew 4, 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Anybody ever fasted that long without food? Yeah, me either. I don't think I've gone farther than lunch. <laughs> it says, Then he became hungry, and the tempter... You know, the, the Bible refers to the devil. Another name for the devil is the tempter. He comes to tempt us, not God. It says, The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So the first things that we want to look for here is one is, as we talked about, Jesus was tempted, right? This is the, the time before he, he went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights after he had fasted to be tempted. As a matter of fact, that the Holy Spirit led him out there to be tempted for the purpose of, of being able to sympathize with us, to go through the very things that we went through. And he was tempted in all ways in this instance while he was out there. But it says that he was led in the Spirit to be tempted, and we know that he was, so we can once again be sure that being tempted is not sin, because Jesus was without sin. But then we begin to see some things. When is the devil going to come to you? You notice that the, the devil didn't come to him before he fasted? The devil's going to come to you in a time of weakness. I tell you what, after, after just the, uh, you know, the first part of the day without food, I started getting hungry and, and a little cranky. And, and you, know, you, get, you start to get a little bit weak. And that's just one day. Imagine 40 days without food. You ever notice if you don't eat right, you don't sleep well either? I mean, I bet Jesus is tired. He's hungry. Probably a little bit cranky. Jesus doesn't get cranky. Yeah, he was just like us. He's going to deal with the same things that we dealt with. He felt the same hunger pains. He felt the same weakness and weariness in his body. Probably got a little cranky, just like the rest of us when we don't have food. And that's when the devil came to him in his time of weakness. You know, the devil's not going to come to you usually when you're sitting in service listening to the sermon being preached or when you're worshiping God during the worship service. That's not when the devil's going to tempt you. He's going to wait till you've been away from everybody for a while and you're alone in your, in, your, in your house and there's nobody around to see what you're doing and when you're isolated and, and maybe you're being, feeling a little weak in a certain area, that's when he's going to come against you. And then what's the first thing the devil does? 
And it's the first thing He's always going to do with you too. Is he's going to question who you are. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The devil is implying that if you don't do this, if you don't make the stones become bread, then maybe you're not really who you say you are. The devil's going to come to you and he's going to, that's the first thing he's going to ask you. Well, if you're really a Christian, why do you have these thoughts in your head anyway? If you've really been changed, why can I tempt you with this? He's going to question who you are. So we continue reading the story in Luke 4, 3 through 12. It says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered to him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And then he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for I have, it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. And he led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord God to your test. So we begin to see the whole plan of the devil right now. First, like I said, he, he questions who he is. If you're the Son of God, why are you hungry? Why don't you just make... I mean, if you're really the Son of God, why are you going without food? Why don't you just make some bread? So what's Jesus do? How many know that, that uh, Jesus wasn't born with knowledge of the Scripture? Just like us. He spent time as he was growing up. He spent time in the Word and he, he read his Bible and, and he began to memorize Scripture. And what's the first thing that he does? See, quote Scripture to the devil. Like I said, Scripture is always the answer to any question that pl plagues a, Christ a Christian, any problem that plagues a Christian. The devil's going to say, well, if you're really a new person, then why are you feeling this way? But I am a new creature in Christ. It is written. Next, the Jesus, the, the Jesus, the devil starts tempting Jesus with shortcuts. And this is what's what's strange. As you look at this on the outside, looking in, is he goes, "Tell you what, if you worship me, it shall all be yours, all the kingdoms of this earth." How many know that that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? This was stuff that was already his. You know, the devil is going to tempt you with stuff that's already yours. He's going to tell you, if you want to be happy, just have this drink. Just be with this girl. Just do these things if you want to be happy. But you've got to remember that in Christ, you already have all those things. You have contentment. You have peace. You have joy in Christ. But the devil is going to offer you a shortcut. Because sometimes you've got to walk through some things. You've got to walk through that corridor of faith before you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding fall on you. And, and joy in this sense is you have, to, you have to choose to be joyful in the Lord for what He's done for you. But the devil's always going to offer you a shortcut, just like he offered to Jesus here. Basically he's saying, look, I'll give you all this stuff that, yeah, I know it's already yours, but this is the shortcut because if you do it my way, you don't have to go on the cross. You don't have to pay the price. I'll give this to you now. And the devil's going to try to make, give you shortcuts to stuff that's already yours. 
And it's always good to remember this is something I already have in Christ and start quoting scriptures at him, just like Jesus did. Then he comes back to, to questioning his identity again. Well, if you're really the Son of God, then, then why are you going through pain right now? Why are you, you know, basically, you know, jump off this building and, and, and uh, God won't even let anything happen to you. The angels will make it so that you'll not even strike your foot against the stone. Basically, if, if you're really the Son of God, why are, you, why are you hungry right now? Why are you going through this pain? Why are you having stuff happen to you? If you were the Son of God, you wouldn't be having that happen to you. And the same thing with us. You know, if God really loves you, why is, why is one of your family members sick? If God really loves you, why, is, why are you having trouble with your finances? That's the, the thing he's going to be to point and pick at you. But the truth is that, that those things are temporary and that God has a plan for your life. The truth is that sickness was paid for. And the truth is that God loves you. So don't ever let the, the, the enemy question your identity. And when he does, begin to tell him who you are. I am a son of the God Most High. I have been made brand new. I am pure. I am holy. I have been redeemed. My sins have been paid for. I am healed by his stripes. And this is, this is where having your mind renewed is so important. Spending time in the Scriptures knowing Because how many know that if, if Jesus had never spent time in his Bible, if he hadn't memorized the Scriptures, what would he have done here? What would he have said? But he was able to face the enemy because that he had spent time in the Word. His mind was renewed and he had Scripture to battle the enemy with. Amen? And then in Luke 4.13 it says, When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. We find two great truths here. One, we find that Jesus was victorious. Because the devil left him. Because he had, he had finished every temptation, but Jesus was victorious every single time. You see, Jesus is our model. He's our, he's our road map. He's our game plan for the, that perfect Christian walk. He's inside of us. And if he's inside of us, then we have the same things that he has. If he was victorious, then we can be victorious. However, we see something that's a universal truth for all of us in this very scripture. One, he was victorious, but then it says he left him until an opportune time. See, you're not going to just be tempted once, and if you defeat that temptation once, you're good for the rest of your life. He left him for an opportune time. Temptation is not a one-off thing. It is not a, something that we're going to deal with just once. But when we're victorious, the devil is going to wait for that opportune time to come back. He's going to wait for that moment of weakness again to try to, to try to sneak in and pull you down. The devil will leave you when you stand up to him. The Bible says in James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. You will always make the devil flee, but he's always going to be waiting for an opportune time to come back. And the opportune times are just like this time for Jesus, when he was tired and hungry. For us, it'll be when we're tired and hungry. I mean, no, that's a good time for the devil to come after you is when you're tired. Maybe when you have a loved one pass away and you're hurting. When you're hurting is a good time for the devil to try to attack you. Maybe when we get offended by somebody, particularly someone that's close to you. Those are the people that can offend that make me the angriest are the people that are really close to me. But that's a good time for the devil. That's a weak time for you. 
Or what about when we see someone that we look up to fail? Have you ever seen somebody, particularly in the church, and they, they're, they're high up and we hear stuff about these evangelists or these, or these, these high level, these high visibility people in the body of Christ fail? And, and the first thing we start thinking, well, if, if they're not going to do it, why, why do I have to do it? You know, if they're not going to live a godly life, why do I have to live a godly life? I remember one time when, when me and Michelle used to smoke, we were trying to quit smoking. And uh, we got in a fight over something. And she got upset and she, and she ended up smoking because she was so angry. It was, it was a weak time for her. And I remember all I wanted to do was smoke. Well, if she could do it, why can't I do it? If she's going to smoke, then I'm going to smoke. I'll show her. But that's the kind of thinking we get, right? <laughs> if, if, if this person's going to sin, then I'm going to sin. I'll show them. But that's the thinking we get. It's because that's a time of weakness and the, the devil begins to tempt you. Maybe there's certain dates or anniversaries where something bad happened and, and in those times you, you have moments of weakness as you're saddened. The truth is there's going to be different opportune times for different people. But know this, the devil will come back and try to tempt you again. But even more than knowing that, even more than being prepared, know that he will never have the opportunity to tempt you more than you can handle, and you will always have a way out. In Christ, we are victorious, equipped with the Word of God and the power of His might. We will be victorious every single time if we would just keep our eyes on Him. There we go. That was a good time for an amen, and only Joseph said it. Amen. It's too late now. <laughs> Ephesians six ten through 13, our last scripture we're going to look at, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist him in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, and having done everything to stand firm, the next scripture says to stand firm. Therefore, I think, something like that. Basically, having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Continue to stand firm. But I'm already standing firm. Keep standing firm. <laughs> the truth is that if we'll put on the armor of God, we can stand firm and be strong in the Lord when the enemy comes our way. If we'll consciously put on the armor of God, which is, which is in the Scriptures, the breastplate of righteousness, the the feet of the God, the shoes of the gospel. The sword of faith. That's the armor of God that we have. If we'll consciously put, us on, put it on, we can stand against every temptation of the enemy. We'll put out all of his fiery darts. We can resist the enemy. And like we saw in James 4, 7, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And then after having done everything, after resisting and putting on the armor of God, and after doing all these things, we just continue to stand firm. Amen? And that's what you do when temptation comes your way. Praise God. Let's go ahead and stand and uh, we'll close the service.